you know, how we worship as Presbyterians has a great deal to do with how exiles came to worship. That is what I said last Sunday, and I hope that I can explain more of what I mean as we explore what is meant by the Word of God. Before I offer the prayer for illumination, let's reflect on what it is that we'll be doing. We'll be asking to hear God's Word. Does that mean hearing the scripture read? Yes, of course it does, but it's more than that. We will ask that God speak to us through scripture, the word read, but also through the sermon, the word proclaimed and interpreted, but also through the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, the word enacted. But more than anything, we'll be asking that the living word of God embodied in the word made flesh, who is Jesus, speak to us. So let's pray to hear God's word. Holy God, we ask that in the word read in scripture, proclaimed in sermon, and enacted in sacrament, that it is your living word who we know as Jesus. Amen. And I'm going to read the passages that are printed in your bulletin, but I also want to reflect on what it is that we are doing when we read those passages and when I preach a sermon. I'll begin by telling you that I love this book. I love studying this book, so much so that a few years after I graduated from seminary, I applied to and was accepted into yet another graduate program in biblical studies, thinking that I might like to spend the rest of my professional life studying this book by teaching it in college or seminary. What stopped me from going back to school was an unplanned and unbudgeted pregnancy. <laughs> now, how did my telling you how much I love studying the Bible make you feel? I mean, yes, some of you were glad to hear it. I am your preacher, after all, and what a fine mess this church would be in if I didn't have some affection for the book that we look to as a guide for faith and practice. But you might be one of those who feels a bit behind and a bit embarrassed that you don't know the Bible as well as you think others around you do. Now, if you're one of those, it might make you feel better to know that you're not alone. I've lost count of the number of people who have told me that. Also, it might make you feel better if I told you something else about me. When I went to seminary, an assessment was made of the biblical literacy of incoming students. Of the five students who fared the worst in knowing what is in the Bible, four of them were preacher's kids. <laughs> and then displaying a mean streak that you wouldn't expect at a seminary, they published the rankings of the students. Do I really have to say out loud that the fourth child and third son of Reverend James Ede Anderson was one of them. Now, don't judge me. Your former associate pastor, Dr. Taylor Todd, was also one of them. He's a good friend of mine, and I hate ratting him out, but I would feel worse being alone in this story. I mean, growing up, I was one of those who found it hard to read the Bible on its own, and I still am that person in some ways. I'm one of those, if if you ask me to randomly open up the book and, and read a passage, I'll do it. I'm capable of reading English. I can read every single word. I can understand each 
of what those words mean. And all the while I'm reading those words, I can be thinking about something that has absolutely nothing to do with the passage. My eyes read, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Within its citadels, God has shown himself a sure defense. And all the while I'm, I'm reading that, I'm thinking, I wonder if I can make some time this afternoon for some pickleball. <laughs> and can some of you relate to that? Scripture without understanding means nothing. And Scripture without interpretation can also mean nothing. And sometimes Scripture with bad interpretation is dangerous. In fact, I'll suggest to you that Scripture without faith is just a book. What I mean by that is this. This Bible did not create faith. Faith finds articulation in the Bible. Faith in God finds God in the Bible. As embarrassing as it was to see my name in the bottom five of that biblical literacy list as incoming seminary students, Taylor and I were in seminary because of our faith. We chose to go to seminary because we loved God. We wanted to serve the church. And we carried with us into seminary a faith and wisdom that had been passed on to us by a community, given to us by our parents and the churches that raised us. Now, we were good students, so believe me when I tell you that our biblical literacy was just fine when we graduated. But our biblical faith was in place before biblical content was memorized. In seminary, our faith gained more articulation. Faith finding articulation. That's really the story of how the Bible came to be in exile. Consider the psalm that many use to promote Bible study. Psalm 1, you heard a version of it when we did our responsive call to worship. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path that sinners tread, or sit in the seat of scholars, but their delight is in the law of the Lord. Their delight is in the word of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water which yield their fruit in its season and their leaves do not wither in all they do they prosper the wicked are not so but are like the chaff that the wind drives away therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous for the lord watches over the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish the word of the lord Happy are those whose delight is in the word of the Lord. In saying the word of the Lord or the law of God, the psalmist is not speaking of the Bible because the Bible had not yet been brought together. It had not yet been formed. The psalmist is speaking to a living tradition, a faith that has been passed down from generation to generation. It's it's grandparents telling Proverbs. It's stories that are shared. It's poetry that is learned. It's rules that are taught and enforced. So when the psalm speaks of a river 
that nourishes the roots of the tree that grows so strong that it can withstand gale force winds in the world. This river is this living faith in God passed on from one to another. And the psalmist speaks of what a blessing it is for those Jews who are so nourished by this living tradition and draw from it. This is a psalm of exile, even if it wasn't written during the exile. We actually don't know when it was written. We don't know who wrote it. I mean, perhaps it was written by King David in one of his more pious moments. Or perhaps the psalm was attached to King David's name as a reminder to kings and those who follow them what faith in God is really about. But whether this psalm was written before or after the fall of Jerusalem, we do know this, that when the psalms were brought together, when they were gathered and edited and finally published during the exile, this psalm was placed first. Why? Probably a lot of reasons, but at least one reason has to be that it spoke to the experience of Jews in exile, where some were able to remain strong in their identity and calling. Why? Because they gathered together to remember who they were, to remind each other of the living tradition of their faith, even though they no longer lived in Israel. Also, they saw others fade from the faith, fade into the Babylonian world around them. The living tradition of faith is what kept them together, but it also had to change. I mean, how do you carry on a tradition of worship where the temple is destroyed? How do you remain a people of faith when you're a people that's scattered all about the world, or at least the Babylonian world? And I would ask of us today, how do we today find common ground as Christians when as Christians were of different colors, different cultures, different nationalities. Well, one thing the Holy Spirit led the Jews to do was to create a Bible. Scrolls were gathered, scrolls were written, and some truly inspired theologians, and I would say inspired by God, some truly inspired theologians and editors put together these groups of writings to help the Jewish people remember who they are and live it out. The Torah, with its foundational stories and laws and its commands of justice and compassion, which begins with keeping the Sabbath no matter where you live. The prophets, with its morality tales, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings, and those sermons of those who called kings and peoples back to the Torah and their reminders to exiles of what God most wants of them. And that's to pursue shalom and well-being for themselves and for everybody around them. And the writings with its poetry, wisdom literature, short stories and histories, which among other things would help the exiles learn the common sense of Proverbs, how to live smart no matter where you are. And the book of Job, which speaks to those who suffered because of the exile but didn't deserve it and the book of Jonah, which speaks to those who deserve punishment but are saved by grace instead. And all together, these books became the Hebrew Bible. It became the common ground on which Jews all over the world could meet, and they called their book the Mikra, which interestingly means 
what is read. But faith, though, continued to be what is believed and lived, not what is memorized. The word of God remained the living word that was before and is beyond the written words of Scripture. We Christians say amen to that, and we take this realization one step further in an extraordinary way. Listen for the living word of God in John's passage about God's word. And I'll read fewer verses than what you'll see on the screen if you're worshiping online. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. And what has come into being in him was life. And the life was the light of all peoples. The light shines in the darkness. One might add the darkness of exile. And the darkness did not overcome it. Skipping to verse 14. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth, that living truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. Again, the word of the Lord. The living word of the Lord is a living person. Jesus, in a way, is God's preached word to the world. The life, ministry, and teachings of Jesus is the guide for understanding not only the Bible, but recognizing God's presence and will in the world today. The Jesus of Scripture keeps us from abusing Scripture by picking and choosing passages that point to a hateful or racist or nationalistic God or becoming some kind of talisman that we can use to manipulate God for our purposes. I hope you know by now that a great way to get to know the living Jesus is to realize that he is the God that we come to know in exile, our own. Jesus is the God that we can meet at the table in our own home. The living tradition of God, which is relentlessly about love of God and neighbor as commanded in the Torah, as demanded by the prophets, and as reflected in the writings, is real only when it becomes faith that is embraced in our hearts and lived in our lives and embodied in community. And we give this living God, this living word of God, a name. And we find our identity as God's children in not in knowing about him, but in knowing him. And that we come to know our place in the living tradition of justice and grace by following him. 